Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Like so many industries, the beer business is dominated by men. What is it like to run a beer business as a female entrepreneur and a woman of color? Ruchi Desai has a unique first-person experience to share as her beer brand, Eight Elite Light Lager, which she co-founded alongside NFL legend Troy Aikman, continues its march as the fastest independent beer launch in Texas history. Ruchi has a prestigious education and can be defined as a goal-getter, a confident woman who won't let anything stand in her way. She shares so much today on willpower, confidence, and failure. She also gives insight into partnerships and what she's looking for in eight beer partnerships as she looks to grow the brand alongside sports organizations. So if you're ready to level up, listen in. Let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast. Ruchi Desai, co-founder and co-chief executive officer at 8 Brewing Company. Welcome. We're so excited to have you. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, um, such a great question. I feel like so hard to answer. I think at my core, I would describe myself, you know, as an, an early riser, um, eight we, at eight, we talk about them as people, you know, who wake up every day with ambitious goals. They're driven. They're just trying to get one step closer to them and be a little bit better than they were the day before. Um, and I think that's probably a common thread for me. You know, I personally, I'm an avid triathlete, um, did a few marathons, but now I've kind of, as I've gotten older, switched over to these multi-sport races and just haven't looked back. So some goals around that, um, I'm partnered to my husband, Dan. I have a Vishla pup named Rhubarb. Uh, it was very near and dear to my heart. And so really just trying to um, stay connected to them while I'm on the road. And then uh, professionally, I lead sales and operations at eight. Uh, so I oversee everything from you know our production and supply chain logistics to our finance, legal, HR, just how do you run a business and keep it moving, as well as um, I lead our sales team. And that just involves you know our distributor relationships, retailers, pricing, placement, I mean, you name it, um, everything to kind of get the beer uh, to our consumers. So before we talk about that career journey, did you say your dog's name is Rhubarb? Yes, like the root. (laughs) So I love that. My mom made this dish called Rhubarb Crunch every summer that was very sweet and delicious. And I know most people don't know what that is. Where did the name come from? You know, it's such a funny story. So my husband and I wanted two dogs at first and um, we're like, we'll get a boy and a girl. And he got to name one. My cousin actually called me rhubarb when I was a kid on and off. And I thought that's a cute dog name. So we'll do that. Um, but the craziest thing was my mother-in-law was, uh, she was cleaning out their house as they were moving. And she found a book that she used to read to my husband about a dog named rhubarb. What? And I was like, if this is not meant to be, I mean, that was what more science could you need? So yeah. Wow. The universe really put that right in your house. That's it really did. Yeah. So I have the book sitting on our nightstand now as we see it every day. That's so cute. Okay. Always get distracted by a dog, right? Um, okay. Yeah. So how, how did you get there in, in your career? You have a prestigious 
education and I'm going to review it for the audience. So uh, don't be embarrassed. Be very proud of what you've accomplished. So the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, Harvard Law and the London School of Economics. What motivated you to pursue your education at these institutions and how did you ultimately land in law? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, you know, I come from a family of medical professionals, basically everyone else in my family, there's some form of doctor or, you know, a pharmacist, things of that nature. And higher education was just, I didn't really question it. It was just something that um, we would always do. And I've always been a bit of an academic at heart. I love studying new subjects and topics and being able to explore. Um, there's just so much out there that I find incredibly interesting. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, I had the privilege of attending really, really great schools, uh, brilliant minds. I think that's probably one of my favorite parts. You know, one of my, my freshman year roommate from college was a Rhodes Scholar. Um, I have you know, friends who are now professors, they're environmental lawyers, and that's just, it's such an incredible experience. And that was really what motivated me, I think, to keep on going. Um, and, you know, my parents, they're, they're immigrants. They both came to the U.S. when they were pretty young. My dad was 19. My mom was 24. Um, so, you know, they've worked so hard to help me provide, uh, to provide those experiences. But really, ultimately, with those schools, part of it was just, it, it gave me, um, a pedigree or reason to be in a room. And I think that was their way of providing something that, they couldn't because they didn't have a vast network um, when they came here. So that really for the schools and the law, you know, I found that super interesting. And I started my career as a derivatives trader. So back in 2008, when you know a lot of just derivatives in general were kind of imploding and I knew I wanted to study something um, further and I had a great business education. So looking around, you know, law, it's such an amazing foundation. I think think of lawyers as advocates who are fighting in a courtroom or, you know, trapping opponents, or if you've seen suits, I mean, it seems very glamorous and exciting and it can be, but at the heart of all of it, right, you're looking at new situations and kind of understanding a context, recognizing patterns and figuring out how can I take what I know or adapt it into an innovative solution for this specific um, situation or context. And I think, that's really what attracted me to the law. It has helped me use it throughout my career. Yeah, it sounds like that has really become a tool in your tool belt because you're now co-founder and co-chief executive officer at Eight Brewing Company, but your path to this position included 10 years of experience working as a lawyer, a professor, an operations director at several different companies. So how did this nonlinear path shape the leader and executive that you are today? Yeah, I mean, every experience is so valuable. You learn so much. Um, I think every failure, every mistake I've made, every bad job I've had, I've drawn something from that to tell me who I want to be, what I want to um, avoid when I have a chance to to lead teams. But you know, my dad. So I, he actually started his own business about thirty years ago. Um, it's one of the largest rehab providers now in California, and his title is head coach. And I, I love that. I think that ethos has shaped how I see leadership um, every single day. You know, it's, I have a team that I have to lead and my role is to make sure that they can perform at their best, right? I have to figure out what expectations I have, communicate them clearly, uh, set goals for them collaboratively, of course, and then also make sure that they have the resources they need. And sometimes, you know, that might be helping them acquire new skills 
seeing what roadblocks are there, what coaching they need to understand how to get there. Um, but also other times it just means uh, being a, a voice, you know, someone to listen and advocate for them. And I think no matter what role I'm playing, it's always about um, holding everyone accountable, including myself. You know, I think we all make so many mistakes. In my first job, I mentioned I was a trader. I made mistakes that cost thousands of dollars at a time. You know, I was learning and I didn't know. Um, but my boss would always just ask me, well, how do you fix it? What are we going to do about it? And I think that's really that accountability and allowing room to, to grow um, is the best way to tr truly lead teams. And, you know, we can make mistakes, but um, coming up with a solution and moving forward and making sure we don't repeat them, um, I think is, is just a, a recipe for success. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about what you're doing now. Tell us about 8Beer. Your co-founders are Troy Aikman, Doug Campbell, and Jake Dunnier. How are you working together to succeed in one of America's most competitive industries? Yeah, um, tirelessly, I would say. It's a lot of work for everyone. I mean, we're in an incredible tough se tough segment. Um, it's the brands that have been here, you know, you think about Make Love Ultra, Miller Lite, uh, they've been around for so long and they dominate the category. They have so many more resources than we do. Um, it's truly a team effort. You know, we have to partner closely with our distributors and our retailers who believe in our vision and support it. Uh, they've been really great. We all have to be very nimble and quick. You know, as a team, it's pivoting and responding to opportunities as they arise. Um, you know, this just this past weekend, actually, we hit this awesome milestone. We had our very first uh, television commercial, and it filmed during or aired during the uh, Cowboys game. We figured out what spots we wanted, um, made sure we had the budget for it, recut our video to a 30 second spot in about 24 hours. It was just a quick turn. You know, we didn't expect to spend that much money in the first month of the year, but we saw the opportunity. And I think that's really what it's all about. You know, how do we pivot and be nimble in a way that um, gives us an advantage over our competitors? And I think one really great thing about all four of us and our team actually as a whole is that we have a lot of unique perspectives, different backgrounds, different strengths, and we all bring that to the table and really respect each other. You know, we have to trust each other um, and leverage all of that to, you know, to truly make a difference and an impact. Yeah. And I love how nimble the company is. That was such a great example. Can you give us a couple of examples about what partnership means for you and what it means for your company? We have so many listeners that um, work in, in the sports industry that are, are working with brands to elevate their presence, you know, utilizing the known existing brand of their team. So what does that look like for you? It's tough. There's so many brands out there. It's just like you said, everyone's trying to leverage something. Um, and these teams, you know, they've created amazing fan bases and loyal customers and people who are paying attention. And when we really think about how to partner, we think about a couple different things. You know, first is who's our core consumer, our core drinker we want to reach? What, what do they value? What matters to them? Uh, and how does this partnership allow us to either highlight one of those values or fill a need and show up authentically to them and really make sure we're not doing something just for the sake of visibility or more eyeballs. You know, that's not ultimately what's going to help build us um, as a great brand. And I think it, consumers are smart. They can see through things that don't make sense or aren't authentic. 
And then the second part is kind of doing the same thing for our partner. You know, what are they trying to achieve? What do you, what's important to them, you know, with our retailers, if they're opening a new store in a new location, maybe it's partnering to create some great experiences for consumers as they're outside and whether it's a tailgate or can we have Troy show up and film some fun spots that allow them to use that for their content platforms and really just understanding, you know, where do our goals dovetail and then where can we leverage what we have to help support theirs and vice versa, of course. Yeah. Well, Troy Aikman is a Texas legend. He's a legend in football period. Um, what is it like working with him and launching a new product with him in Texas? Yeah, um, you're right. Troy is a Texas legend, a Texas royalty, <laughs> if you will. Um, but, you know, beyond that, he's he's such an incredible athlete, a businessman. He's a great friend. And he brings that same intensity and competitive drive he had as a player uh, to eight. You know, it led him to three Super Bowl wins, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. And beyond that, he's had a legendary career in broadcast as well. And I think for anyone, it's if you saw how hard he worked day to day on being the best broadcaster he can be, building eight with all of us. I mean, it's so inspiring. He doesn't have to be doing it. Um, I think that's it's been really rewarding to also just understand how much of a student of the game he is. You know, he'll always say that I might not be the best broadcaster. I may not um, know everything, but I'll outwork everyone else. He'll ask questions, you know, find people who know more and really understand what drove them to success. And uh, he's, you know, he's brought that to eight. He's incredibly involved. He connects with us every single week to figure out, you know, where are we winning? Where are our challenges? Uh, what opportunities can does he have to engage, you know, with our retailers, distributors? Um, sometimes, you know, he'll send a text out to a bar owner and they're saying like, Richie, did Troy Aikman really just text me? Like, is that his number for sure? And I was like, yeah, that's Troy. And that's how involved he is. I mean, he even interviews every single person that we hire. So you see what, you know, he values with teamwork and hard work and just showing up and doing what you say you're going to do. He brings that every single day uh, to eight. So I learned a lot from him and you know, we could not be more grateful uh, to have him as a partner. Yeah. And you, let's talk about you, Ruchi. You're shattering a glass ceiling working as a woman of color in a large, largely heterogeneous male industry. Yeah. So what does it mean to you to shatter the glass ceiling and what have you had to do to prove that you belong? Yeah. You know, this is such an interesting question. Um, I never really thought of myself as shattering a glass ceiling. You know, I've just shown up every day and I've worked really, really hard. Um, I think, you know, there's countless moments throughout my career that I've had to prove myself, whether it's this role or other ones. And, you know, I think, as a woman of color, I might've had to do so more often than others, but I haven't known anything different, right? So it's hard for me to say, is that just the simple reality of, you know, I've changed careers so many times, um, but I'll share an example, you know, of early on in my career. So I was a derivatives trader, right? As I mentioned, and I came out of college thinking I was going to be an equity analyst, right? So it's a research-based role. I'm going to sit there and look up companies, going to see what's going on with them. And it was the midst of this crisis and our fund had um, these derivative positions. Like we need someone to come in and, and manage that. And so they hired someone to do just that. And they told him, don't worry, you're going to have this Wharton grad completely to, you know, dedicated to your part of the business. And I was like, that was me. I had no idea that this was going to be my new role. And so a week before he started, he comes in 
that morning, I think my then boss was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be your new boss. You're going to work for him. We spent an hour. He must've gone through, I mean, 10 or 12 different things that I was going to be responsible for. I had never heard of a credit default swap at this time. It just was like all went over my head. And I sat there and I was like, okay. Um, and as you know, I went to law school. So I was studying for the, um, I, I was taking the LSATs at the time. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do? Well, at the time, not to date myself too much, but there was a Barnes and Nobles across the street from my office. So after work, I bought this thousand page book on fixed income securities. And I spent the entire weekend just reading everything I thought I would need to know, creating templates for the reports I was responsible for. Um, and like I said, I mean, I still made a ton of mistakes, but that was just one of many times where you come in and it's like, I think the gauntlet was thrown. It's like, can you do this? And I said, okay, well, maybe, but I'm going to try my best. And you know, I think we all go through that in one shape or another, regardless of our backgrounds. Um, when I really sit back and I think about the glass ceiling, I think there's probably three big things I really see in that. You know, there's first just highlighting this discrepancy and opportunities for minority men and women. Um, you know, it's and I mean minority broadly, but you know, based on whatever um, category that is, but it's real and we can't dismiss that. We have to acknowledge that this is something that exists um, and there's a conversation to be had there. I think there's also a role for you know young women who are starting or young men and educating them in skills or you know mentorship, just making sure they have the tools they need to succeed. But I think the most important to me in all of it is just you know having conversations, um, fostering productive discussions about what are you working on. You know, Emily, you and I started this call about some of the partnerships that I'm working on right now and in your career and your network that you've had and. When I really think about these rooms where we have, you know, women or minorities and we can talk about our businesses, how do we grow them? How do we partner with each other to really drive that success? I think those kind of conversations are happening all the time in bigger forums, in rooms that we're in, but maybe because we're women, because we're minorities, we're marginalized, our voices, they're often diminished. And so when we have an opportunity to really have our own forums and we can leverage each other's success and experience, it's, I think the opportunity is just unmatched. And if we only focus on the first two parts, you know, that, hey, you know, it's the playing fields uneven, there's a lack of training, or my coaches weren't great, all valid, but the game's going to be over before we even get our jerseys on. Um, so that's why I really think it's exciting to be in these rooms with women and and build that, um, you know, really build that partnership and path to success. Yeah. And I was going to ask you how you got the job. And as you were talking about Troy, I was thinking, okay, well, this is, he has, you have a lot of the same characteristics that he does. And you just gave these examples about your work ethic. Do you think that's what uh, led you to winning the position to, to lead at eight? Yeah, so I can back up. I can give you our origin story of sorts. Um, and you know, the way we actually met Troy, so Doug, Jake, and myself, um, you know, we'd met over the last couple of years and we were looking at this opportunity in in beer and you know, looking at other celebrity founded spirit brands and things like that. And we're just like, you know, there's room for an authentic brand in this category. 
And I was talking to a friend of mine about what we were trying to build and where we saw the opportunity. And they said, you, you need to talk to Troy. So we had a mutual friend who put us in touch and it was really immediate where we thought not only the kind of brand we wanted to build, what we wanted to be associated with, but just how we approached everything. Um, it was so in line with each other and actually funny, a few months, you know, we, everything was kind of like, we started the brand, we'd raise some money. We're filming our first kind of brand spots and we're in Oregon and Troy looks at us and says, you know, I almost didn't do this. And I was like, what? And he's like, you know, I thought about it. And I was like, everyone asked me to do things, but then I thought, you know what, if this is the team I'm going to be working with, they seem pretty smart. I trust them. They're going to work hard. And so I believe in what this team can accomplish. Um, so that was really what it was. It was exactly what you said, like hard work, believing in ourselves. Um, and I think finding people that you can trust um, and really believe in to do their part uh, and build a success together. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a busy professional. We can agree we are always looking for products that are convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. It's a water bottle and a foam roller in one. I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of class to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps with recovery and gets me back to work faster. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code leadershipisfemale, all one word, to get 15% off. Support Lonnie Cooper, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness water bottle. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. You have heard so many of the professionals on this podcast talk about the importance that a mentor has made in their career. I've had so many listeners reach out to me to ask me about mentorship. The problem is mentors don't grow on trees. I'm working with my company, The Assist Group, to, well, provide the assist. We're going to form a mentorship cohort so that we can make sure you find the mentor you need to help your career grow. Make sure you're on the list to get all the details when they drop later this year. Visit theassistgroupwins.com to join the waitlist. And you found a lot of success at eight. You have led eight to achieve distribution in 50% of all Texas grocery stores. Six packs of eight are outselling those of Corona premium across Texas. And in the last seven months, you've shipped over 100,000 cases. How do you set goals for an emerging brand like eight? And what do you do when you reach them? Yeah. Um, I have to say, you have to suspend disbelief for a little bit. Um, you know, I think, you know, our goal is, is to capture 1% um, share of our market to start. And, you know, for reference, Mick Ultra basically owns almost 90%. And then Corona Premier is sort of the second biggest along with, I think, somewhere between 8 and 10%. And so 
to be able to even think you can do that, you got to kind of like, oh, okay. There's a lot of reasons why you can't. But I think when we're setting those goals, you know, I go back to our sales team. We have a strategy. We call it TACT. It's T-A-A-C-T. And it stands for tenacity, ambition, accountability, creativity, and trust. And I'll just focus on the first two because I think that's really what defines how we set our goals and how we reach them. You know, we first we start with this idea of ambition, you know, going for the moonshot, right? You have to believe that the ultimate goal is, is a stretch. And we always tell, you know, our sales teams, even when we have goals, like we're not always going to reach them. In fact, if you reach them, we probably didn't set them high enough. So that's really, really, really first start. And then it's just creating a plan. How can we achieve it? What needs to happen? Uh, We'll do pre-mortems as a team. What roadblocks do we need to prepare for? What could go wrong? And then just breaking it down into, you know, what do we have to do each quarter, each month, each week to get there and understand that there's going to be setbacks, but, you know, with persistence and hard work, hopefully your steps forward are going to outnumber the steps backward. And, um, you know, as you said, last year, we shipped actually over 130,000 cases in less than nine months in market. So we not only met our goals, we far surpassed them. And so now looking at 2023, it's kind of the same conversation. You know, how do we define success and how do we get there? I love that. It's um, you, you broke down a lot of ways to, to set and achieve goals. And then also the mindset that you described around being an emerging brand and, and what it takes to believe in yourself. And I love what you said there, suspend disbelief. That's a really good way to to summarize that that mindset. So how have qualities like what we discussed or qualities like willpower and confidence impacted your career? Yeah, I mean, I'd say they've defined it. I don't think I'd be where I am without just really dogged belief in myself and the discipline to put the work in. Um, You know, I I did switch from a legal career into, into business and that was tough. And I had to really dig down and understand what I could contribute. I took roles as an intern again, just to try to build up my resume and let people know that like, I can do this. Um, even though I thought I could, of course, but what I really think is, you know, I don't see willpower and confidence as innate qualities that I've had. I think they're ones that, um, I've seen modeled and I've acquired with practice, right? Imposter syndrome is real. I told you at the beginning here, and I listened to your previous interviews and I asked my team, I was like, are you guys sure I should be on this podcast? Um, like you always think about what you haven't achieved yet, but really believing in yourself and every single day, reminding yourself that where you've been and what you've come from. And there's always these quotes about people, they're so caught up in what they're trying to achieve next. You forget what you've already done or where you are now. And I think that's really important to kind of continually reinforce your own self-confidence. I think determination and willpower are very much the same. I started this year with a really tough set of meetings. And so I said a mantra for myself. I said, believe that the hard work will result in success. Um, and my husband also has a startup. And so we've been saying that to ourselves almost every morning and it's hard. I mean, we have to sacrifice so much time with our friends or family, with each other. You know, we work really long hours throughout the week. I'm traveling three weeks out of the month and just to keep going. It's sometimes it can be really, really tough. Um, when the goal that you're trying to achieve, it's months or even years in the future. And there's all these setbacks. So it's just practice. And every morning I just wake up and I'm like, the hard work is going to get you there. 
That's great. That's what we've done. Yeah. Well, I think that a great exercise in goal setting is reflection on how far you've come and that, that journey can inspire the confidence you need to set those, those big goals coming next. And, um, I'm really excited for you to listen back to your interview today and just recognize how far you've come in your career, uh, how much you're currently doing and how far you have left to go, uh, that, that will be so inspiring to others. And so in that reflection, how do you handle a setback? Is there an example of a failure you've experienced and what did you learn from it? Yeah. I mean, it was actually one of my employees, we were doing a, um, our performance reviews and we always have a 360 component to that. And he said something that really put it into perspective for me. And I think for me, the easiest way to handle failure is just to move forward. I kind of like, start assessing what's wrong. I start forming solutions and that does take reflection to really evaluate, okay, what did I want to have happen? What went wrong um, or what did happen? What I didn't it match what I wanted, but dwelling in it's always been really tough for me. I think that's kind of a quagmire you can get stuck in, but you know, an example of a failure actually. So one of my eight co-founders, Jake and I, we had started a company in 2016. Um, it was a, a wearable, like a smart locket. So basically Instead of a couple pictures that you printed, it was attached to a phone and an app. So friends and family could send someone a photo and it directly showed up on your locket. We were super excited about it. And we had, we spent two years, you know, developing this product. I found myself in South Korea after Jake's wedding, really the day after to lead an engineering summit. Um, You know, we were talking to leadership at Google, at Pandora, Fossil, Apple, and we had all this work. We spent two years on it, raised money from our friends and family. And ultimately, you know, for a variety of different reasons, we had to abandon the project. And it was such a lesson in humility, uh, the unpredictable nature of business. You know, you could be flying high and think, oh, we're going to get this contract. It's going to work. We're going to move forward and then kind of have the rug pulled out from underneath you. And so I think the biggest lesson I learned, and I'm still learning it today, is that failure doesn't define you. Uh, you know, I thought of myself as, well, I'm a failed entrepreneur now. How am I going to do this again? And here I am, you know, seven years later with a new business that I believe in and really just being able to put one foot in front of each other and, or in front of the other and understand that the failure kind of, it has lessons in it. And I think Jake and I are both better um, entrepreneurs now for it. Yeah. I mean, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Do you think that was the tipping point in your career? Oh, gosh, that was one of them. You know, I, we started that. I had actually been at my law firm for a little over two years, and I, I left without a job or anything else. Um, that was tough. It was super scary, but it kind of just believed in myself. And I said, okay, so that was like the first shift, major shift away from kind of set paths that I had been on. But I think, you know... Um, the biggest tipping point is actually rooted in, in failure for myself in that it was when we were first talking about AIDS. So Jake and I had been talking about this idea for a little while and kind of doing our research, learning the industry, but I still had a full-time job. You know, we weren't, we hadn't raised any money at that point. And so but working on it kind of in the nights, weekends, and the firm I was working for at the time was a fintech startup and I walked into a meeting. I had fought to be a part of this meeting. I thought, you know, from day one, it was where I was going to contribute. Um, and I had built out this whole program, I thought, to really improve a lot of the cross-functional things we were working on. So I was, I spent all night prepping for it. I was going to present it. 
and I ended up getting laid off. <laughs> I, was, I was totally blindsided. I, you know, it was during COVID. I had to turn my video off. I was crying in the call, which I'd never done before. And that, that was like a sucker punch if I've ever had one. I felt like a total failure. I'd never been laid off before. Um, but, and my husband was, was traveling for work at the time. So I called Jake and had a good cry. And he said, okay, well, this is great. Now you can just focus on eight. Let's make it happen. Uh, and that's really what we did. And we just said, I said, okay, I'm going to put everything I have into this business. And I mean, the growth we've had since then has been exponential. That is such a great story of a time where you're at your lowest low and your ability to transition into what's next and do it so quickly and really rebound and have, you didn't shatter in a million pieces. You had like that bounciness to, to rebound. Where do you think that comes from? Oh gosh. You know, my brother actually referenced that in his speech at my wedding. (laughs) I, I, I don't know. I think my parents, you know, I would go back to my parents. They came here with nothing. Uh, my dad had a couple dollars to his name and learned and built everything from the ground up and the life that they've been able to provide my brother, myself, uh, even now, and the support they've given, it just helped show the value of hard work and that, you know, we were very lucky. I think we came at a time where you think about this American dream for so many immigrant families and they they truly did it. And I think seeing that example and having those shoes to fill has always been um, a driver for me. And I also just think that it's for me, if I start thinking about what went wrong or what what was done to me or what I think happened to me, it's just a spiral. And I found it's always easiest to just say, well, what can I do? What's in my control? Um, what can I change about my reaction to make and build the reality for myself and moving forward has been a way to, to process the bigger emotions and um, kind of channel any negative energy into positive next steps. I think that's fantastic advice uh, in resiliency and how you can, you know, take, take that internal. Ultimately it's, it's up to you. So what is the future for women in brewing and how do you hope your role and your success impacts the industry? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's great. There's an increasing number of women in brewing across all parts of the business, whether it's, you know, at the breweries um, in building brands, distributorships, you're really seeing um, a lot of women come into their own in these companies and organizations. And I know many of them are actively supporting the growth of women and, um, amplifying their voices. There's, um, you know, an alliance for women across the industry as well. And I really just hope that my career kind of demonstrates the power of just hard work and belief in yourself. I mean, I had no experience in beverage alcohol before this, and hopefully everyone or anyone listening can see something of themselves or a challenge they've had in my own story, because it's been ups and downs. It hasn't been a linear growth by any means. And you know, I, I really think anybody can reach new heights. It's just the challenges we all face are unique to ourselves and really figuring out what we can have, like what we have in our own repertoire and what we need to do. And honestly, ultimately, I really hope that that one day having a minority female CEO is just nothing unusual. It's nothing to remark upon. 
Yeah, 100%. We're going to get there by sharing these conversations and having dialogue um, to, to make it normal. You know, it's, it's part of the conversation. These voices aren't marginalized. They're amplified. So what is your life like in Austin? I know you travel a lot, but, but why do you love it there? Why do you love Texas? And um, why was that city the best place to root your career? Yeah, I mean, you know, Austin, it's a, such a vibrant community. There's an eclectic blend of locals, of transplants, there's creatives, startups, and other innovative businesses. It's a really great place, I think, a melting pot of so many different parts, um, not only of Texas, but the U.S. in general. And Texas it's, itself is, I mean, they're it's a great community. They're proud. They work hard. Um, the ethos of eight, I think, is embodied in so much of Texas and its history as well. And we found um, these really active, just hardworking individuals. So it was a great place for eight to be um, to call its home. And that's why we built it there. And um, just finding like-minded individuals, I think, has been a huge blessing for us as a company to, you know, let find partners or find the energy and know that, hey, our community's out there. We just got to um, start talking to them. So yeah, Austin's been been really, really great. And I think um, it's continuing to grow. So great place to, to root myself and hopefully um, launch from there. I love it. All right. Well, now is the time for the final four questions. Okay. Got it. So the first one is, is a little deep, but after that, smooth sailing to the end of the interview. <laughs> uh, what is your biggest piece of advice for women today to help them to level up tomorrow? Yeah. Um, all right. So I have three pieces to this, actually. Um, I think the first one is believe in yourself. There's enough naysayers in the world. There's no need to add your voice to them. Uh, know your own worth. I think a lot of opportunities will come your way. that are maybe not exactly in line with your goals or your vision. So just, just be really careful. Every time you say yes to something, you know, you say no to something else. So be choiceful about when you compromise, if you have to compromise at all. And then I think the biggest one is just understand that no one else knows what they're doing either. You know, I've been in so many forums and conferences, and I think the underlying assumption is that we don't know what we need to do to thrive in this world, but of course you do. And yeah, it's important to project confidence and, and build a network, but it's not a prerequisite to having a voice. And I think in my experience, at least usually the loudest voices in the room, they're not always the right ones or they're not always the ones that know everything. Um, so just put the work in, do your research and advocate for your ideas. So where are you traveling to next? Yeah. So, well, I'm currently in Little Rock in Arkansas. I get back home. And then in March, my husband and I actually take an annual ski trip with some friends and it's become one of my favorite tra traditions. So we'll be in Banff for a week. Uh, but before that, I think I'm back in Dallas and I think in Albuquerque as well. Nice. Okay. What is your walk-up song or your pump-up song? Okay. So you gave me this question. It was so hard to choose because I actually have an entire playlist. Like I have a whole walking playlist dedicated just to this. Um, but I'll give you my most recent edition, which was Miley Cyrus's new song, Flowers. Um, so I love her and I love her voice, but I think at its core, there's a message of just empowerment and self-reliance and I love that I have, you know, a great support network and my family and my spouse, my co-founders, but there's nothing like boosting your confidence, like going into a meeting, knowing that I have everything I need and I can rely on myself um, to, to get things done. And finally, what's your favorite quote? Yeah. Uh, so my favorite quote is from Maya Angelou. It's probably not a new one for most people, but 
It says, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Um, I actually had this quote on my Facebook profile when I very first, like very first time I created it at 18. Um, and it still hits home every single time I see it. It's still so impactful to me. And I think, especially as a leader, I consider it all the time, you know, it doesn't mean you're shying away from clear, direct feedback or tough conversations, but m- making sure people know that they're supported, um, even when they make mistakes and that, you know, we're here to, to build together. Um, I think that's really what, uh, what it's all about. And I love that, right. That how you make people feel is what's most important. And the rest of it's just kind of dressing window dressing. Well, Ruchi, this has been such a really wonderful conversation You've laid so much inspiring um, language into this dialogue that I know our listeners are going to take so much from, and uh, we can't wait to celebrate you. So we'll hopefully have a cheers with an eight beer in our own market and think about the woman um, at the helm. So thanks for being a part of the podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Emily. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, believe in yourself. There are enough naysayers in the world. You don't have to add your voice to the list. Number two, know your own worth. Every time you say yes to something, you say no to something else. So be choiceful about when you compromise, if you have to compromise at all. Number three, no one else knows what they are doing either. Find your voice and project confidence. Knowing everything is not a prerequisite to finding success. Put the work in do your research, and advocate for your ideas. And number four, to be successful, you've got to have tenacity, ambition, action, creativity, and trust. If you reach your goal too soon, you probably didn't set the goal high enough. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource, and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at leadershipisfemale. Now. Take this lesson and run. Let's go. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.